Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank all my listeners for listening. And also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Justice Magic, binaural production engineer Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, Monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And monthly co-host, Kat Baldwin, author of The Forgiveness Workshop. If you are interested in contributing to the show, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. Now, without further ado, our guest for today is Tom T. Moore. And he has written quite a few books, um, one on Atlantis and Lemuria, and he has written book three books on The Gentle Way, uh, Gentle Way 1, 2, and 3, in his most recent book, Gentle Way for Pets. Thanks for coming on, Tom. Sure. It's a pleasure, Gary. Maybe we should call this, uh, sh- uh, this particular show Everything Imaginable and Unimaginable, <laughs> and we get into some of the things we'll talk about. So I guess first uh, give my listeners a little bit of background on what got you writing The Gentle Way to begin with, and like, what is the general gist of it? Well, um, back in, in the 90s, I think it was, um, I'd read a, a, an article um, in the Sedona Journal of Emergence that uh, it was a channeled article, and the channel being whose name was Zosh, told Robert Shapiro that you can request benevolent outcomes in your life. And at that time, I've been trying all sorts of different things, like, uh, as an example, the law of attraction seemed to work sometimes, didn't work most of the time. And, I'm, and, and so I continued to, to search to see if, if something really, truly worked. And... Um, uh, when I read that, it was like a light bulb going off. And I said, oh, I think I'll try that. So I started experimenting with requesting benevolent outcomes and, and saying them out loud because as, as scientists will rediscover in the future, um, the verbal voice is much more powerful than we can imagine. So I started with real simple requests. Uh, I request a a most benevolent outcome for a parking space in front of a restaurant, real mundane things that were would be easy um, to have a feedback on very immediately. And I discovered it was working perfectly. And I'd never been able to say that about any modality in the past, certainly not the law of attraction. It was just, you know, uh, head and shoulders above, above anything I'd had uh, tried before so as things went on i worked i worked up to have something that you could say every single time uh, and just stick whatever you wanted in the middle so as an example i would say i request most vanilla i come for my drive to the post office i request most vanilla i come for getting uh, in line quickly at the post office I request most benevolent outcome for my drive 
to the supermarket and I request most vanilla I come for a parking space near the door. I request most vanilla I come for finding everything I need in the, in the grocery store and a, a quick checkout line and then uh, most vanilla I come for my drive home. So I would put everything together uh, that would be what I would be doing on that particular <laughs> run. So it, it, uh, it progressed. Uh, I uh, wrote an article for the Sedona Journal of Emergence, and they printed it. It was highly accepted, uh, re- recepted, and they put it on their website, and it just slowly took off from there. And eventually, uh, uh, I was writing articles for them, and, and eventually, eventually, uh, I've had a column with them for about over 10 years. Interesting. You know, there, there's two things that you, you know, one is the law of attraction. You know, I've always felt that, um, well, I don't know if I always use the word solely, but I always felt that it was incomplete. You know, that was just a partial um, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time, you know, studying the occult and things like that also. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned two things that, that will show up like an occult secret type of literature. One is that what you're asking for should be in alignment with your will. What you're yes. doing by saying asking for a benevolent outcome rather than asking for a specific outcome. So that way the outcome is going to be more beneficial to the will of that being. And the other thing is saying it out loud, which also, like in the cult, would be like a spell. Because, you know, they're like, there's the thought, there's the word, there's the manifestation. Yes. And, that's, and that dates back to, yes, the, the incompleteness of the law of attraction. Because, um, you know, you can try and visualize something, but if it's not on your soul contract, like I... I for a long time I have a photo of a jet <laughs> behind me on my desk, and thinking that well if I visualize if I ever could afford to own a jet I would be very successful in my international film and TV program distribution business, um, but eventually I was told that was that was not in in my certainly immediate future, so. It keep when you're requesting benevolent outcomes. One, it keeps you on your soul contract. So, and and two, it has to be benevolent for everyone that's connected to the request that you do. So there are there are things that that go into it that make sure that what you're doing is is benevolent for everybody. Absolutely. Um, you know, because one of the things that, that has come up in a lot of my um, cult episodes is the idea of, like, for example, a love spell. You know, like, I want this particular person to fall in love with me. Mm. Well, <laughs> that's not always going to be the best thing or the <laughs> right thing for either person. You know, right. the, the, the way to do it would be to ask for, I want a person who's most compatible in that I'm most compatible with to attract me attract you know come together yes and and the way I, I normally tell people to say that would be I request the most vanilla come 
for the perfect mate for me. Now, whatever, you know, you can say man, woman, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, whatever the person, uh, you know, wants in their life. Um, so it's, and then you release it and you, you let those machinations come about because maybe that perfect person is in a relationship right now and they have to get out of it. Or maybe you need a, a, a maybe a short range relationship that will prepare you for that perfect relationship. So there are things that have to go on and you have to be patient when you ask for the perfect uh, mate, uh, the perfect job, the perfect home. These are all things that that can come about, but you have to be patient, which is why I tell people to start with the mundane stuff, that restaurant parking space or the drive to work or a meeting at work or whatever. Start with those mundane things first so that you build up confidence and you build up remembering to do it. Because if you only try and do it for the important things, eventually you'll forget it and you'll go on to something else. Hmm. So it sounds really simple. Um, what yeah. are some of the stumbling blocks that people have? Like I can, one I can just think of off the bat is when I'm saying this, who am I saying it to? Well, okay. So, um, you, uh, I tell people you can believe it goes to whomever you wish. If you, uh, if, if you wish to believe it goes to God or, or creator, as I like to call him, and, or to Jesus or Muhammad or Allah or whatever deity, that's okay. Uh, because it, it doesn't matter. It works perfectly. Now, I've been told that when you make these requests, we've, all of us have been assigned what's called a golden light being, but we call guardian angels, okay? Um, creator of our universe sent out a call. And, and my, my guardian angel, who I named Theo because he says humans don't have the vocal cords to pronounce angelic lives, and he says, also, we're not too big on names over here. And he said, you could call me Tom, Dick, or Harry, but Tom will be a little difficult in your meditations. He was joking with me. And so I thought, and for a couple of weeks, I thought about it. And one day, Theo popped into my head. And so these golden light beings, the creator of our universe, put out a call. And Theo said humorously, uh, the job description said only golden light beings need apply. And these golden light beings are called that because they, over eons of time, they've raised their vibrational levels to the point where they glow a golden light. And they take care of hundreds of thousands of people all at the same time, not only in this life, but all of our past, present, and future lives, which are all going on at the same time, which is one of those hard to imagine <laughs> things for our for our show. Right. This is, is a topic though that I do cover quite often. Is the whole idea that everything is happening at once and time is not linear like we perceive it. Um, yeah. You know, we we're just perceiving it that way because that's how we're going to evolve through having this experience. But in reality, we're having 
there's multiple me's, there's multiple timelines, there's multiple experiences all happening at the same time. Um, with these particular light beings, um, is, does everybody have access to them? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, all you have to do is put yourself into a, a light meditative state. Normally, I, I suggest to people that um, they, uh, they go to Amazon.com. There is a, a guy listed there by the name of Dick Sutphen, S-U-T-P-H-E-N. And if you go through his offerings, um, he has both, uh, uh, well, mostly MP3s these days. And one of them is called Spirit Guides. And he takes you into this light, uh, uh, altered state where you can ask questions and write or type your answers. I normally set it in my computer um, like I did at hmm, 4 o'clock or so this morning. And uh, I have a whole list of questions that people send to me from all over the world to ask. And uh, uh, and so I'll, I'll go down that list of questions. I'll open my eyes long enough because you're not in a deep, somnambulistic state. Uh, you're... You want to stay in that state in between sleep and and awakefulness where you're remembering a dream. Mm -hmm. Writing your dreams down every morning is the perfect way to kind of practice being in that space that you need to in order to receive what are these what are called thought packets, which come in through the pineal gland in the center back of your head and are processed by your your brain. Hmm. I was just looking up uh, these audio things on um, on Amazon. I'm gonna have to give this a try. Um, yeah, you know it's it's interesting because you you mentioned that that meditative state, and I experiment with that quite often. You know, typically like an alpha state seems to be I think the most productive one. And what kind of state? An alpha state where you get your brains in like an alpha, an alpha wave. Yes, I completely agree on that. Um, it, it's you just have to to put yourself in where you can receive this stuff, and and you know it it, it takes some work. Um, you may have to listen to that spirit guide th uh, thing twenty or fifty times for it to finally work really great for you. But if you keep up and you keep practicing. Then, then that's one of the things that that um, is the unimaginable is that I'm told in the future uh, everybody is going to meditate, and it's not going to be just uh, limited to a, a certain few of people. I was told that if you don't start learning to meditate. There will be a time in the in the not too far distant future where your grandkids are going to say, "Oh, my, uh, you know, mom or pops or granddad or grandmother or whatever, you don't have, know how to meditate. Let me teach you." So, be you know, learn before before the grandkids come and and say <laughs> they got to teach you how to meditate. Yeah, meditation and just conscious um, consciousness expansion. 
seems to be um, a definite part of our human evolution that's happening. Right. It is. It's, I call it uh, conscious meditation because when you when you reach into that state, you're you're asking questions, and some of them can be so profound. Um, uh, as an example, uh, I, I had a conversation recently with Creator, and uh, Creator told me that that Creator is capable of having trillions of communications going on all at the same time. And um, uh, so anytime that you want to speak to Creator, you can. You just say, in a meditative state, uh, may I speak to Creator? And Creator will say, here I am. So it's, it's, you know, you get it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. But normally, most of the time, I communicate with Gaia, Soul of the Earth, because Gaia is a, uh, is a quantum master, and uh, uh, she'll be here long after after we all depart the planet and go back to our original planets. And uh, and then I speak to Theo, and then I uh, a lot most every time I'll communicate with what I call my brother on a mother planet, another planet, whose name is Antura. And after 800 lives on Earth. Um, he is part of a first contact team that's that's uh, he's an amphibian this life and is orbiting the earth in one of those three mile wide and and 20 stories tall uh, Syrian motherships with a crew of 900 and and uh, their families because most of the crew lives there their whole lives and uh, uh, totaling 1500 uh, beings from from 37 different planets. Hmm. Um, when you, um, before you, I want to dive into that a little bit, bit, but I also want to ask you first is, um, you've gotten something like, you like, if you ask like something like 30,000 different questions. Yes. Um, what are some of the most, I don't know how to put it, most, uh, important questions you've asked and answers that will affect all of humanity. Oh, um, well, certainly, you know, the meditation mm-hmm. bit um, uh, is extremely important. Now, keep in mind, I, I will mention if people go to my website, www.thegentlewaybook.com and click on articles and news, I have archived every single newsletter I've done since 2007, and I do one a week. Uh, I think the last one or two uh, newsletters were around 12 or 13 pages because so, I get so many questions to ask in this. But but what's come about in these questions, I found of, of great knowledge would be, number one, we're having each person has 600 to 800 lives on earth, okay? And each one of those lives um, has 12 parallel lives going on at different frequencies. So you could, if some people want to think it's like 12 matrices, Mm -hmm. but each earth is on a different frequency and the higher frequencies have easier lives 
and the lower frequencies have harder lives. We're on the middle frequency, timeline six, it's called. So we're we're in the middle of the pack. Hmm. Interesting. Um, when you speak with Gaia, um, you know, one of the questions, this is a funny one in a way, um, one of the questions that has come up in my podcast is, how did Earth get named Earth, and who named Earth Earth to begin with? Because all the other oh. planets are named after Greek and Roman gods. Um, would Gaia be able to answer that question? Probably. I've never asked her. Um, uh, you know, Earth was moved uh, here uh, to the solar system, and our moon was moved from, I can't remember if it was Jupiter or Saturn, one of the moons. So, and, and you notice that it was the moon was set up so that always rotates facing us on one side. And that was done for a purpose for us to figure out that it was it was truly a ball and not a flat surface. Mm -hmm. Because these were all things that we had had to finally uh, figure out as we went along. And um, uh, but Gaia has told me that this Earth experiment, which all of our souls volunteered for, uh, will last only 7,000 more years. And when you think about it, starting 10 million years ago, that's a very short period of time. And I've been told that that my last life on Earth, I'll be part of a cleanup. I'll be head of a cleanup crew that will restore the Earth back to completely pristine uh, condition and uh, Earth will become a vacation planet for people from not only all over uh, this universe, but other universes as well. Because one of the other things that you ask, you know, some of the important things that I learned is that Creator wanted to see if the four negative energies could be worked with because the rest of our universe and all the trillions of other universes all operate only within the 10 positive energies. And so Creator wanted to see if it would work, and our souls volunteered for several different reasons. One, they were promised um, their, their vibrational levels would be fast-tracked to raise much faster than, say, it took our guardian angels uh, to raise their vibrational levels. And two, um, eventually, probably several million years from now, uh, our souls will all merge together, become a creator, take over running this universe, allowing a creator to go to a higher level. And that has never been done in any of the other trillions of universes. So there's lots of big things. That's why we're, we have so many of these motherships. We have like 25 orbiting the earth they're taking millions of readings uh, about these the uh, these negative energies that we live in um uh, that are part of the earth experiment because nobody's ever been able to do this but us hmm. you know you, you've answered a question that i've asked many many times and, and yeah. a point that i've brought up many many times which is um you know, 
like like to me as as a human being, the natural evolution for us does seem to be to become our own creators or or some type of creator in the universe because that is exactly what we do right yeah uh, and and with that we're doing a lot of training that that obviously is unseen number 1 uh, our souls are not completely um in just the earth experiment so uh typically there are 6 to 12 fragments of each soul having lives on earth these 600 to 800 lives on average and they're uh but at the same time our souls may be having 500,000 to over a million lives going on all over the universe to learn all about this universe so that we'll know how to take over one day and of course we're uh, we are um, shielded from knowing all about these past lives we had on other planets uh, where uh, so that we can come up with with trillions of ways to solve problems um, because that's what creator does it's creator is solving trillions of, of things all at the, and making decisions all uh, every second of time and, and that's what we have to learn how to do Hmm. It's the way you put it just makes a, a lot of sense that that we would be created, merged, become another creator, and then the creator that created us will move up to another level and move on to bigger and better things. Yeah, I think it's like the thirty-second level or something. A creator supposedly is already in touch with with another creator that has already sort of gone ahead. Now, I've been told by Theo, my, my guardian angel, that our creator would be ranked in the top five of all the trillions of creators out there. So our, our creator is pretty, a pretty smart creator, I guess you could say. Our creator didn't just go out and bang, you know, create this universe. Our creator went to a lot of other universes and I guess <laughs> stole ideas or saw what was what was good and in, in, in all about uh, these other universes before ever creating uh, its own universe. And uh, uh, and something else that that I was uh, uh, surprised to learn is that there are three other universes that uh, are next to ours. Two of them we can't see because they're on the far side of the universe, but there's one universe that's close to us, and and it's um, we think it's part of our universe, but it's not. And this James Woods telescope one day is going to see that there is this millions of mile void uh, in between our universe and and their uh, universe. And um, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to, um, uh, to, uh, to learn that, uh, that that universe is really different from ours. That if you look at the galaxies, uh, the galaxies are completely different than ours. They, they rotate differently and all. So 
that's something for us to learn in the future. That's something that we're going to learn in our lifetimes? Um, well, I, I think so, because um, you have to understand the, you know, the universe, first of all, uh, uh, people think that the universe right now is only 13.5 billion years old. The James Woods telescope is eventually going to tell us that it's over 2 billion. I see. Is that correct? <laughs> I got to get my, my numbers correct. But uh, uh, over 20 billion years. In actuality, it's 25 billion years. But even the James Woods telescope will only be able to sell, see 20 billion years in, in the past. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I know they're going to they're going to come up with things that are that are, you know, everybody's going to say, well, that's pretty neat. But of course, what's going to happen as these astronomers discover these things, this this void and and how the universe is looks much older. They're going to check and recheck and recheck again their figures because they don't want to have other astronomers say, oh, you're you're completely wrong. You you must not know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, they like to be right. <laughs> you're human. Yeah. Um, with so many extraterrestrials that you mentioned, do all these extraterrestrials have um, humans' best intentions and in mind, or do some of them want to harm us? Yes, they they do now. Um, one of the amazing things that I found in my questions, and it, and this came about recently. It wasn't in in my book. Uh, Oh, it's probably where you can't see it. But uh, I, I have a book called First Contact Conversations with the ET. And and I was told about this uh, true Star Wars that actually happened about a million Earth years ago, but only 100,000 universal years. So there was this real Star Wars that went on, and it lasted for 27,000 universal years are 270,000 Earth years. People would live their whole lives on their planets completely in fear that one day one of these enemy ships would show up and would destroy their sun, which would destroy all the planets orbiting that sun. Um, and, and, and this went on hundreds of suns were destroyed on both sides of the conflict. So this was this was a really nasty time. And but they're all at at peace now. Even on Antura's ship, there you know, this was between the reptilian Dracos who decided to come to our galaxy and start taking over planets for whatever resources they have, I guess. And um, so uh, on Antura's ship there's actually a two uh, reptilians that, as he puts it, mostly keep to themselves, but they're here checking on on the people 
that have reptilian souls. So that's that's how the 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 conflict or the the major war ended. I was uh, uh, I was a religious leader on Nomo, that water planet that that uh, Antura was born born on, and and I came up with the idea. Well, why don't in our the uh, as part of the negotiations, why don't we offer uh, to see if they would uh, take part, you know, come to peace and take part in the Earth experiment? And we'll will a lot a percentage of the souls to them, and the the Dracos were so hated uh, by everyone, you know, that were were in this war, and and also they just didn't think they would agree. So 450 uh, universal years went by, and finally, out of desperation, because the war wasn't going very well for us, because the Dracos have millions of ships, um, they they offered it to them, they accepted, and that that ended the Star Wars. Mm. Well, it's good to know that that is over, and now everything is progressing in a positive way. And they yeah. worked it out. And 10% of, of the souls having lives on Earth are, are reptilian. And they will go back with this negative energy back, uh, you know, uh, as they finish their 600 to 800 lives. And it's going to start raising the vibrational levels of those of, of the reptilians, too. Just like uh, when all the, the souls, the other 90% of the souls go back to their planets. And, and they're going to start raising their vibrational levels and everyone's going to be at a higher level. Interesting. Um, in your most recent book, you've written The Gentle Way for Pets. Um, yeah. Can you give me, tell me a little bit about that book and why you wrote it sure. and how it's going to help animals or people? Okay. Um, one of the things... In fact, I, I reconfirmed it because uh, someone sent me um, a channeling by someone I, I really uh, like, uh, been a friend of mine, but I felt that, that they got it wrong because they were saying there were beings in our universe that were not ensouled. And so I asked Creator about this, and Creator said, yes, every being in my creation is ensouled. And... So I started getting long, well, fairly far back, at least three or four or five years. I don't remember. I, I started asking questions about what are called group souls. We call them group souls. Um, and that's simply to differentiate them from ourselves. Our souls, again, are just having these, these uh, six to 12 fragments of themselves having lives on earth. But these group souls, as an example, dog soul ensouls every single dog on earth. The, the dog soul just has a different interest than do our souls. And the same almost with cat soul. Cat soul ensouls every single domesticated cat and feral cat on earth. Other feline, um, other feline souls take care of the tigers and lions and so on. And so they, you know, it, it's hard to imagine, but, but you know, dog soul has been around 
uh, even you know before we were around. And as as Dog Soul mentioned to me recently, you know you could see. Uh, well, and I'm sorry that was deer soul, but uh, it goes for dog souls, dogs and and deers and and so on. You can find them on the oldest cave paintings you can you can locate. Uh, they're they're represented there. So um, they they're here to assist us, uh, give us unconditional love. Uh, typically, I used to think that you know each of us. Uh, I'm told we can always say I request a most benevolent come for my my pet Sandy uh, to come back for another life with me. And and as Theo says, we take that to a, a higher level and and that that dog or that cat or or that pet will come back for another life with you. Recently, I found out that sometimes it's hundreds of lives depending on how many lives that we've already lived on earth. You know, if somebody has already, is already up at four or 500 lives, you know, they, they may have had, uh, you know, thousands of dogs or thousands of cats and many of them will be the very same soul. Mm -hmm. So soul fragment. So that's, that's one of the nice things to learn is that we are being, um, supported by all of these different group souls. Uh, now it's not in my book, but the other day somebody was asking me about about deer and and, and in your meditation, if you want to ask to speak to dog soul or cat soul or or any any of the group souls, because uh, there are four million souls assisting Gaia. Uh, with the earth at the present time. Uh, just in the last week, I learned that Gaia has over 25 other souls that are her, and I call her her, she just seems like a a, a female, feminine to me. Um, there are over 25 apprentices, apprentices, yes. And she said, look, you know, I spent millions of years uh Insoling an asteroid, so they get to they get to insole a mountain range or whatever. G great work compared to <laughs> me, me and the asteroid. Um, so that's that's how uh, Gaia gained her experience by going through all these different galaxies and everything and learning about all these different uh, different souls. Um. Like with the idea of, of, of you know having the same dog soul say assisting me through a lifetime, um, how do I know I end up with the right dog with the right soul, or is the soul placed into the dog after the owner or or person that's assisting um, finds it as a companion? Well, it's a good question because um, what happens when uh, well, first of all, again, you can say I requested benevolent outcome for having another life with my dog, whatever name or cat. Um, that's that's what you can do. Um, a lot of times, well, first of all, when 
let's just take when the dog dies, it doesn't go to heaven like we imagine. Okay, it will go to what's called a staging center and uh, our staging area and dogs from all over that area all come to be assigned to new to new earth mothers they can be assigned a life that actually starts in the past or the present or the future and so a lot of these are worked out according to your life and and how that dog or cat or pet can meet up with you again because you have this great familiarity with each other, perhaps updating all the way back to when you were a caveman. Hmm. Yeah, because like my dog, you know, I definitely ended up with him under some unusual circumstances. Right. But yet, you know, oh, yeah. I, I know he's my dog. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And and we had a dog by the name of, of Sugar, and she transitioned, and uh, so eventually we went looking for another dog. Uh, we just felt compelled to go look for another dog, and we went to the Snow Kills Center, and as we were looking, there's this this uh, sweet dog, and, and, and his name is Sugar. <laughs> And and so my uh, uh, my my son renamed her Sandy because we wanted to give her a different name than than Sugar, the last name Sugar. So, but we we knew it was it was the same dog. Hmm. That's like my dog. We uh, it was originally adopted by my ex-wife, and his name was Polaris, which means North Star. And, you know, and he, he's ended up my, as my dog and all my big decisions that I've had to make in my life over the last year have been based around having to, I have a dog now and I have to have a yard and I have to have this yeah. and I need that. And I, you know, so all these big decisions were based around me having this particular dog, which got me where I am. And his name is yeah. North Star. So it was kind of like, I followed the direction that, that that I was guided in by this particular dog. Right. Yeah. Amazing what <laughs> what uh, uh, you know feelings we have for these uh, you know what we call animals and and uh, but and one day we'll we will learn how to communicate with them. Uh, ourselves and and that that's another thing coming in the future now i've done just a little bit of it i communicated with two of my past dogs and i, I asked to speak to the soul fragment of uh, of each dog and it was so weird that i didn't do that after i mean it just seemed so so un unusual even for me with all the the different beings you know i communicate with because every, even every sun, every moon, you know, every planet, even the asteroids and all, are all ensouled in this in this creation. Mm. And it's it's a beautiful creation. How about cats? 
Why are cats such a pain in the ass? <laughs> and I don't have any cats in this life, but I understand I've had them. I've had them in past lives. So, um, again, they're just to, to teach us different things. So, it seems like they like to knock things off the table. <laughs> well, a lot of, uh, I guess, a lot of other things, but they're they're unique, and and cat solo is, is unique, and and like. Like Katso says, you know, I, I only take care of the domesticated and ferals. We spread the work around. That's the way she de- described uh, the other felines. It's just a strange choice of companions for humans. Yeah. Yeah, I I had um, a, a friend of mine just passed away, passed away recently, and he loved cats. And... And he also loved uh, reptiles too. He, uh, I was told he had a reptilian soul, and uh, was put in on my path for me to see how they were, they were doing. See, see, my soul um, interests are religions of the world. So I've been around for the start of every religion in the world, with the exception of two, and those are coming up in my future. And, uh, uh, and then also in other lives, I'm also advise, um, leaders of countries because that's what the Federation of Planets started having me do to do after they saw how well that, that suggestion I did, um, work. And, and so I've got all these, these guys that are going to be leaders in the future, and they're even popping up in this life um, uh, for me to to meet them and get to know them a little bit. So as an example, a, a friend of mine, all the way back to our uh, junior high days, um, uh, is a retired uh, minister now, and in our next life, He's, I'm going to be his mother, and we're going to have a very loving relationship. But the next life after that, that we're together, he's going to be L. Ron Hubbard, and I'm going to be Sarah Northrup, his second wife, and we'll assist him in writing the Scientology book, which will be more gentle than it is now. Because we're constantly rewriting the past, present, and future. The other... Um, the other one uh, is that my my wife, uh, when when I created the gentle way, it was twelve thousand seven hundred years ago in in uh, Poseidia of uh, the Atlantean Islands, and and I migrated with twenty five thousand of my followers to Egypt to resettle because things were getting worse and worse. Uh, uh, warring between Poseidia and Aaron and, and the little islands below Aaron. And so uh, when we arrived in Egypt, they were afraid we were going to conquer them like we had done in the past. And and so uh, my wife was, a, was an Egyptian princess, and she helped us resettle. So in her next life, she's going to be a male leader 12,500 years ago in Egypt, and I'm going to be her assistant 
but I'm going to be her, her, um, uh, uh, it's a past life for me. After that, in a future life, she's going to be Holly Selassie, um, the emperor of Ethiopia at the start of the Zoroastrian religion. I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly. And I'm going to be Queen Menon, his closest advisor, and have 10 kids. Really great. So, How, how do you get all this information? I just ask. Hmm. You know, uh, I may ask a question about a subject and, and not get on that subject again for another year or two years. So they're called follow-up questions because... They come up and I say, well, gosh, I've never, never asked about that part. And so I will. Do we stay with the same soul group for all our lifetimes? Um, yes, um, we do. First of all, those six to 12 fragments uh, of our of our souls that are having lives on earth, they are in what's called a soul cluster. Okay. Now our souls don't really want us to have lives all at the same time at the same place because our souls want the greatest bang for the buck. You could say they, they want the greatest learning out of each one of those fragments lives. So my, my soul interests, as I said, are religions, um, uh, and Tura, who is uh, who is part of my soul cluster, um, uh, his soul interest on Earth was exploration and designing villages and towns from the very beginning. So that that's his soul interest. So he's part of this first contact team, which is basically exploration team, and they specialize in grassroots contacts because. My family and I are supposed to meet up with him in a few months, and we're going to shoot the first documentary on board a Syrian mothership, which has never been done. Hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing that. That sounds really yeah. interesting. Me too. It's It's been a long time in coming because um, what happens? Most of the inventions and and Things that happen all start up on the upper timelines and they work their way down to us. So as an example, timeline eight just visited the, uh, uh, the, the Syrian mothership last July. Now timeline seven is supposed to, to visit this spring and we're supposed to be after them. Now is that going to be six months, nine months? A year? I don't know. They say, and, and they say kind of, they kind of don't know because it all depends on how soon people on our timeline accept the fact that there are in other intelligent beings in the universe besides humans, which, as you know, many religions have, have taught that we're the only ones. Right. So, so there are other beings on this planet that are on different vi vibratory levels. Basically, they're almost like in another dimension, but yet they're within the same sharing sp same space as us. 
Yeah. Okay. You have to understand the. Let's see the the, the vibrational level. Uh, we can be. You can be on a vibrational level on timeline six that is at the bottom, uh, or you can be your uh, your vibrational level is at the very top of vibrational levels on timeline six. Okay, but you can't cross over to timeline seven. That uh, that that just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the peop- the the souls that are at the top of the um, vibrational level on timeline six are we able to perceive them? Are they physical or are they non-physical? Okay, repeat that again. The souls that are at the highest vibrational level on timeline six, are mm-hmm. we able to perceive them? And did it become physically vi- visible to oh, us? I mean, or? Yeah, I mean, there you can't you can't tell the difference, or or I guess it, it's very difficult for people to tell the difference between um, someone that is at a higher vibrational level and someone. You know, okay, 70% of the people having lives on Earth right now are in what's called the young soul category. Um, 30% are in the medium soul category, and 10% are in the old soul category. So because there are so many people alive at this time period, um there's a, a lot of young souls. Young souls are divided into quadrants, just like medium souls and old souls. So you have you have uh, first, second, third, and fourth quadrants. And when they uh, when they get from say the second quadrant and move to the third quadrant, their vibrational level jumps up a little bit. And then and then eventually when they complete all the lives in the young soul category, they they take a sort of a major jump into a medium soul category. Hmm. Because I've had a, I had a conversation not too long ago with my co-host Jared, and we were talking about Atlantis, which you've also written about, and we we're hypothesizing on what happened to the people that inhabited Atlantis. And one of my theories is that they reached such a high vibration that they no longer needed physical bodies. Well, I wish that was true. Um, the the uh, first of all, there were like four major events in our past that we have no uh, or very little records of, and I'll explain why. Um, the, the first one, Edgar Casey had mentioned in, a, in his book, and that was when the souls, I mean, pardon me, the uh, poles <laughs> um, uh, rotated, and, and that destroyed a lot, but it was so early. Um, human beings, I should say um, homo sapien human beings, did not come until 60,000 years ago. And they were, uh, the ETs plopped 30 or 40 in each place on the continent that, uh, continents that they wanted uh, to have an enclave. By that time, they'd gone through 
Neanderthals and Cro-Magnons and, and on and on, um, uh, trying to find the right uh, type of being. And when they finally found it, see, they could reproduce a whole human being in 2.5 minutes. So bang, 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 you know, they they could produce, say, 30. They probably didn't want to go above that because they needed to have them be, to be able to find food and shelter and clothing because they, they, they were put on the earth stark naked. And, um, and so the, uh, that first thing that happened, that shifting of the poles was 55,000 years ago. So not too many, um, uh, not, not too many Atlanteans were affected by that. So we go on down and they, and they grow, they become millions of Atlanteans. The Atlantean continent was in the shape of a parallelogram, um, and uh, in between, in between uh, Europe, uh, Africa, and North America, and um, but then about thirty thousand years ago, there was there was this line of volcanoes that bisected uh, the whole continent, and it was right on top of the Mid Atlantic Ridge. All of those volcanoes, and they were huge ones erupted at the same time and destroyed the continent. So this was a natural disaster. It, it, it uh, drowned not only millions of, of, being, of people on the Atlantean continent, but millions of people all over the world that lived on the coast because with the displacement of the continent, the seas rose 160 feet drowning everybody on the coast as the as the seas rose above them. And um, so uh, there were even reports that that uh, you could not sail a boat past the, uh, the Straits of Gibraltar because of all the mud for many, many years that existed in the Atlantic Ocean. So there were some islands left, and that included the Canary Islands, Bermuda, um, uh, a couple islands off the coast of, of Canada and uh, the, uh, the uh, Bahamas were part of the continent. So the, uh, there were some left, although they were, you know, the surface was swept away by the, o- by the oceans and had to re, you know, reform. So there were these two major islands in the middle of the Atlantic left. One was called Poseidia. And it was the size of Cuba, but round in shape. And then 375 miles to the south was Aaron. And if, if you were to draw a line straight out from Washington, D.C., uh, that's, that's where it was located in the Atlantic. And it had five smaller islands and a half moon um, below it. And so you had two different religious systems, the law of one, with Posadia and and the sons of Belial on Aaron, and so time goes on, and and they rebuilding on the islands and everything, and they actually had, of course, their energy source came from from these giant crystals, and they wound up having to go all the way to uh, slightly 
to the west of Hot Springs, Arkansas, and they had to dig for new crystals there, and they would have these mining camps with about 600 people in each one, and they would mine the area, then they would go to the next area and mine that for the largest crystals so they could have this free energy. The problem was they also developed um, weapons of destruction, and they developed uh, lasers. And so finally, the sons of Belial got tired of these wars, and 12,500 years ago, uh, they did a Pearl Harbor type attack where they had 325 aircraft, and they, at dawn, uh, because these aircraft could not operate at, at night, they flew up to uh, Posadia and used these laser weapons to, uh, to melt the ground the people even uh, stood on. They killed uh, a, a million and a half people, died the very first day of the war, and then Posadia uh, responded, and it resulted all these islands uh, sinking within the matter of a week or so. And this was when the actual story of Noah actually took place. And he, uh, he did sail his ark. He landed on the lower slopes of Mount Harriet. And, um, uh, and, and that actually took place. It didn't take place like three or 4,000 years ago, which is what I think uh, the Bible says. Somebody can correct me on that. So that's, that happened to them. The seas rose 41 feet. So we have 160 feet, 41 feet. And then finally, we have the continent of Mu. And Mu um, existed right off the coast of Japan. And, um, uh, and it was a, a very peaceful con continent, settled at the same time 60,000 years ago and very peaceful uh, until the last a thousand years. And so one time you ask how these questions come up. I said, well, mm -hmm. had I, did I ever have, uh, you know, a life on Lemuria? Oh, Tom, you helped sink the continent. And supposedly it was my worst life on earth. I was a, a religious leader that encouraged the leaders of my country, one of the five that in, that existed on the, Mu continent or Lemuria uh, to drop hydrogen type bombs on uh, on the people, and um, it, uh, it 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 was just destroyed the whole Mu continent and uh, uh, the the oceans of the world rose 170 feet uh, again, uh, drowning millions and millions of people so there you go that's that was my contribution to to mm. uh, being a bad guy is mu the same as lumeria or is it something different i had a well guess. if you notice it's, it's called la muria uh -huh. okay okay so it's like the murians so um uh, Mu is the name of the continent, and my book it really only refers to it as Lemuria because it, it's so hard for people to understand if I just say, you know, uh, Mu, 
And mm-hmm. that's why I use the word Lemuria, but it's actually Lemuria. Hmm. I had a guest on, his name was Jack Churchward, and yeah. his father was James Churchward. And he had claimed to have been to move. And um, I don't know. It, it, to me, I, I I had trouble following. You know, I I, th- I I think sometimes there's some confusion between the two. Like I think there may have been two separate places, and he got confused somehow. I don't know. I, that that just seems to be. Yeah, my and that's and that's, that's fine. I, all I can do is pass yeah. along what I'm told. I was even. Uh, I was even given, um, and it didn't appear in my book because even my publisher did not understand it, but I gave my publisher the exact latitudes and longitudes mm-hmm. of both continents. Yeah. And so, so like the, the latitude of, of the northern part of, um, uh, of Atlantis, was around the 45th or 47th parallel. You'd have to look. If you look at Newfoundland and draw a line right underneath that, that's the top of of where that continent went. And um, the the Lemurian continent, and as I say, it was a, a parallelogram, so it went down to the 30th, but then it had a tail that went all the way down to um, to the Bahamas. On Lemuria, it was about 12% larger than Australia is today, where Atlantis had been 10% larger. And it extended all the way to within 100 miles of Hawaii. Right. For several thousand years, the people of Lemuria would go vacation to Hawaii. And even to the time when things were getting worse, um, one of the five countries would have one beach, another one, another beach, and, and so on. They each had their own uh, beaches because keep in mind that there was more land at that time before the, the oceans rose another 170 feet. And um, so they all stayed separate and maybe one uh, of them, uh, the people would be, very conservatively dressed on the beach and, and another one, they would be topless or whatever. So there were quite, there were big differences between each country. Hmm. Um, so the story of Atlantis destroying itself through high technology, that didn't happen. That did happen. It did happen. Yeah. Because of the laser weapons. Oh, that's what set off the volcanoes. No, the the volcanoes were were a, a natural disaster. Okay, okay. The um, the volcanoes erupted because of the pressure of the plates, and and that destroyed the 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 continent itself, leaving the islands. The islands were destroyed by by warfare. That makes a lot of sense to me. That was a little bit of a little bit of both happening there. Yeah, you know, it's, it, it's never black or white. I always try to look at 
all options being possible at the same time, rather debating what one is right and which one is wrong. Right. Earth is a living being, you know, and and the Earth has earthquakes. I said, why why would you have one that would destroy a whole continent? And Gaia said, you know, as as souls, your souls have to experience every single thing that the earth has to offer. That includes fires, floods, earthquakes, you name it, and wars, as we're as we're seeing now. And and um, uh, you know because there are so many of the souls that are on the earth right now that are only in the third quadrant of young souls. Mm-hmm. So they have not had a lot of these experiences yet, and they're getting it. Interesting. With your conversations with Gaia, have you ever asked Gaia if there are civilizations living inside the Earth that we yes. don't know about? Yes. In fact, when, when I do my meditations, I always, uh, as part of it, I always say, okay, I now send white light and love down to the center of Mother Earth, center of Sean, Tara, Encarta, Sophia, Ignatius, all these names the Earth's been known as before, and all the other names unknown. And now I spread this white light so that it permeates every single cell and every single atom of the interior of the Earth and all those that live within it. Because there's, I think it's either 23 or 25 different civilizations in the interior of the Earth that have nothing to do with the Earth experiment. They are, they're going their own merry way, and, and uh, they want to have nothing to do with this. Hmm. Do we ever find them or them come across us accidentally? Not really. The only beings living in the interior of the Earth that we're where we, we really uh, have some interaction with are what are called the Lemurians that live inside Mount Shasta in in a city called Telos. Mm-hmm. But they're like a, a couple of frequency points above us so that we don't see them. But they, they have what are called these mystery schools. Um, and... and you reach a certain vibrational level and you can go to these mystery schools that tell us what's on. Excuse me. Um, so, um, I, I've, I've attended these mystery schools and I've, I've attended, I, I've also had conversations with, uh, um, I think his name is Adama, who is the head of, uh, of the Lemurians. They're very tall uh, and, um, they live much, much longer than we do. Hmm. Yeah, I've done interviews about Telos before. Very interesting. Oh. Um, you know, so the, well, they're the only ones. It's, it's funny, like, you know, all these beings are on this planet. And I, I would imagine that some of them living below the Earth must be concerned, especially right now, that was going up on up here on the surface with like the threat of nuclear war and things like that, possibly messing up their civilizations. Well, I guess. And, and, and I have asked 
you know, about nuclear war. I even asked Anturian uh, this morning, I said, you know, what What if one of these nut jobs like Putin or, or uh, Kim Jong-un uh, in North Korea, uh, you know, I said, would, would you guys stop it? Because he's told me in advance, uh, I mean, uh, in, in the past about how, you know, they can actually go over a, a nuclear facility and turn it off. And he said, no, we won't because they'll be stopped before they can do that. But people, humans. Hmm. I wonder if the if that if that is a fail safe that they installed by using humans to deter the nuclear war, or if it's something that humans are capable of doing on their own. Oh. Um. I, I, the there was a time after the Atlanteans and then the Lemurians destroyed themselves, that uh, there was something called the Earth Directive came about. And basically, because the ETs had given free energy to the Lemurians and free energy to the Atlanteans, both of them used them for war purposes, um, that they said, no more, we're, we're going to back away and they can sink or swim. So that's that was the Earth Directive, and even today, um, like the 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 Pleiadians are are really dragging their feet about disclosure because they don't, you know, they don't want to see the same thing happen. They don't have any chance of it happening uh, that it did by them interfering with with the earth experiment. So that now getting getting the Pleiadians to <laughs> move along is <laughs> uh, not the easiest thing, but hmm. how about you, know, you mentioned the Pleiadians and I have interviewed people that will say that they are Pleiadian star seeds. Mm-hmm. Are, are, are human beings sort of being hybrided hybrids of these uh, Pleiadians? Uh, you know, they're Pleiadian souls. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't... You know, they're not hybrids having lives on Earth. So it's just their soul is Pleiadian. Yeah. And and there's there were a number of Pleiadians that... Uh, raise their their vibrational levels to the point where they could uh, be allowed to have earth lives because you had uh, originally when I wrote maybe my first book or something I was told that you you had to have a spiritual life that was that was all they knew I could understand at that time eventually I was told that your vibrational level had to have reached a point where where you could volunteer for the earth experiment and be accepted but you but so we're sort of like the the cream of the crop if you want to call us that that we've all had reached 
a vibrational level where we could we could take part in this extremely difficult um, uh, Earth experiment. Hmm. Doesn't always feel that way, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> One of the interesting things I found out recently, um, I, you know, some people had mentioned that had either gotten a ride on a, a spaceship or looked inside one or whatever, that they, it looked a lot larger inside than it did on the outside. Mm-hmm. And I asked Antura about that. And he said, because of the inside of the ship exists in the 10 positive energies, it's about over 30% or more larger than the outside, which is in, exists in the negative energies so that, that's another sense. restrictive thing that that those four negative energies does is that for some reason they make things smaller i can see that definitely um so if they're not they're not malevolent uh-huh. is that the word i'm uh they're 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 just energies. I've been asked this mm-hmm. several times. They're they're just energies. So we we're the only uh, beings in this universe or any other that have been able to to live with the negative energies. Wow! Why everybody's here looking at us, <laughs> <laughs> studying us, wondering what's going to happen, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, this is a fantastic interview. Thank you for coming back on. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Great. I enjoyed it. We we covered a lot this time. We did. Um, before we wrap it up, where's the best place for my listeners to find you and find your books? Sure. Get your newsletter. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, my uh, website is www.thegentlewaybook.com. And when you get there on the opening page, there's a little box and you can sign up for my free, they're free newsletters each week. And with questions, never know from one week to the next what's going to be in the newsletter. All depends on the questions I'm getting. And um, uh, my books are, you know, typically where you'd find most of the books these days, Amazon or or whatever uh, uh, bookseller that that you uh, you know about so they're they're available uh, as my my newest one is the the gentle way with pets angelic let's see and angelic help for your for your animal uh, companions and uh, give it a try i've got um I, i think you'll find things that will keep you interested. Awesome. Well, I'll put a link to your website and to your books in the notes of this episode so my listeners can find you. And, uh, well, definitely, we can do this again sometime. Love to. Really do. Fantastic. Now hang on for one moment, and I'm just going to play the outro. Facebook.
this link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com.